Well, let's open up God's word, and I'll, I'll start by praying. Lord, we ask that you'd come now. Thank you so much for Psalm 119. What, an, what, a, what a treasure chest full of comfort and strength and conviction and encouragement and faith and hope and power. Lord, it's just been beautiful. And I pray, Lord, that as we have just a couple weeks left in Psalm 119, that, Lord, continue to shape and mold our prayer lives as we study this manual for prayer. And I pray for your help this morning upon me. And, Lord, we just ask that you would come by the power of your Spirit and work in each of our hearts, speaking to us exactly what we need to hear through your Word this morning. So come and do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. So as I thought about this passage and kind of the, the, the main truth I saw in it, I, I thought back on my first car, which was a 1968 Volkswagen Bug, okay? A uh, little beetle bug. And, you know, Volkswagen Bugs, they got a lot, lot going for them, but speed, uh, power is not one of them, okay? Basically, Volkswagen Bugs, they can kind of putter around, and get you from point A to point B, but that's uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, but one day, I'm not sure exactly how this happened. I was I'm not a car guy, but I was reading Hot VW's magazine, okay. And in Hot VW's magazine, I read about how you could buy a turbocharger for a VW Bug engine. And so even though the VW Bug engine basically just putters and gets you from point A to point B all by itself, if you put this turbocharger on it, uh, I'm not sure how much more, but there would be a lot more, which isn't saying much, but there'd be a lot more power, a lot more oomph, a lot more speed going on. Now, I never took the plunge. Uh, like I said, I'm not a car guy, but, but the reason I mention this is because the same thing is true about prayer. That's what struck me this week. And that is lots of the time our prayer lives feel like they're just kind of puttering along, okay, mainly getting us from point A to point B, kind of working through our prayer list. But there's not much power there. There's not much life there. There's not much sense of God's presence, not much oomph, not much torque, not much rev, not not much just kind of puttering through our prayers and, and kind of going from point A to point B. But the good news is God has given us, yes, you thought of this, it's, it's a turbocharger for our prayer lives, and it's described in Psalm 119, these next verses, verses 153 to 160. So let's turn there and see what this is, and I want you to see if you can see, understand how this will powerfully strengthen, deepen your prayer life. Yeah, and if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. I want to make sure you've got one to look on with this morning. We're going to look at this passage plus some others as well. So Psalm 119 verses 153 through 160. And in the Bibles we're passing out, that's page 516. So here's what's going on in these eight verses. In in this next eight verses, the author continues the same theme that he was on last week, or in the the previous eight verses. Namely, that he's uh, got a huge trial that he's facing, and he's crying out to God for, for help in regard to this trial. And so notice how he prays In verses 153 through 160, look at what he says. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life, 
according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust. Now, let me just pause here and just mention the Old Testament, just like the New Testament, calls us to love our enemies. And you can look on someone who is sinning against God and think that is wrong what they're doing. It's it's profaning God's name. It's bringing harm, judgment to them. And, And you can feel that way about them without stopping to care about them and to love them. And so so he can have this disgust he's feeling at the same time as he's not stopping caring for them. So make sure we, we don't read wrong things into that word disgust. So he says, I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. So give me life according to your steadfast love. It's not that my loving your precepts earns it because it's according to your steadfast love, but still this shows that I have faith. I'm connected to you by faith. So give me the life I need. Then verse 160, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Okay, so what's going on in these eight verses? Well, first verse right there, 153, look on my affliction. He's got an affliction. And we know what that affliction is from verse 157. It says, many, I want to underline that word, many are my persecutors and my adversaries. So he's got this terrible trial he's dealing with. He's got many persecutors, many people seeking to harm him. He's got many adversaries, people who are opposing him. And in light of this terrible trial, there's one request. Did you catch it? He mentions three times. Three times. It's a crucial part of Bible study is notice what the author uh, repeats that's something that he's emphasizing. And so three times he says, give me life. It's verse 154, give me life according to your promise. 156, give me life according to your rules. Then 159, give me life according to your steadfast love. Now what's he asking for there? I don't think here he's asking for physical protection. And the reason I don't think that's what he's asking for here is because in verse 154 he says, give me life according to your promise. But God does not promise us physical protection. I mean, think of what Jesus says when he sends out the disciples. You know, some of you, they will betray. Some of you, they will beat. Some of you, they will kill. Um, Jesus is very straightforward. Think about Cain and Abel, right? Cain killed Abel. So God does not promise physical protection. So what the author here is asking for is, give me spiritual life. I'm feeling lifeless spiritually in the face of this trial. My faith is shriveled up. My hope is gone. My, my sense of your presence has disappeared. I'm, I'm weak. I'm fearful. I'm frail. Give me life. Bring back spiritual life to me as I'm facing this trial. That's what he's asking for in, in these verses. And then at the end of these eight verses, he says something that sounds like it's just kind of coming out of nowhere. Did you catch that? Verse 160. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Now, what does that have to do with what he's been talking about? Right? Because verses aren't just random. There's a flow of thought that the author's got going on here. And so 
it seems like just kind of out of nowhere, he tells God, your word is true. The Bible is true. All your righteous rules endure forever. So why does he throw this here in at the end of these eight verses? And I think the reason why is because affirming to God this truth about the veracity, the faithfulness, the perfection, the truth of God's word, to, to say, God, your word is true, it functions like a, like a turbocharger strengthening him as he's bringing these requests before the Lord. And so th- that's what I want to focus on this morning, because I noticed here in verse 160 how he does this, and I read back through the rest of Psalm 119, and I noticed that he does this eight, nine, maybe ten different times. He states as he's praying, your word is true. Your rules have been founded from of old. You are faithful in your word. You've kept every promise you've made. He just has these statements to God sprinkled through this prayer. God, your word is flawless. Your word is perfect. Your word is true. And as I looked at these places to see why does he do that, what struck me is he's doing that in order to strengthen his prayer, in order to strengthen his faith as he prays, in order to bring him comfort in the trial, in order to deepen his commitment to the Lord, in order to like turbocharge his prayers. So let's dig deeper into this by asking this question. So what does he believe about God's word? Again, he states it here in verse 60, and he puts it in different places in this psalm. So what does he believe about God's word? Let me just hold your Bible up in front of you. Now, he didn't have the whole Bible that we have now. Okay, He had a portion of the Old Testament, right? Pentateuch and, and other portions of the historical books and, and some of the psalms possibly. He didn't have the whole Old Testament that we have now. But what did he think about it? Did he think this is like mostly true? Mostly true? Did he think that uh, this is perfectly true? Completely true? Wholly true? Did he think, well, it's got some good stuff in it, but some of it's kind of outdated? Right? What did he think about the scriptures? And you can see it right there in verse 160. The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. So the sum, the totality of God's word, the sum, everything in this is truth. And then every one, so it's the sum, the total, and then every one in particular, every one of your righteous rules endures forever. So notice, he's telling God this as he's praying. The sum of your word is truth. And Father, every one of your righteous rules endures forever. And again, I think the reason he does that is to strengthen his faith as he prays, is to enliven his passion, to invigor his his earnestness as he's praying. And then I noticed he does this throughout Psalm 119. Look at some of these places. Look at verse 86. Psalm 119, 86. All your commandments are sure. So there, just boom, kind of plopped in the middle of his prayer. God, all your commandments, they're sure. And then verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. So all the truths of your word, they are permanently fastened in the heavens. Nothing happening here on earth is going to change them. They are flawless. They are true. Verse 96. I've seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. In other words, nothing else on this earth is imperfect. Is perfect. Everything else here is imperfect. Your word is perfect, flawless in its truth. Everything it affirms is 100% truth from God. And then 142, 
your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true. Okay, again, he's praying. He tells God, God, your law is true. 151 and 152. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Okay, so the author believes that God's word is 100% perfectly true in everything it affirms. Are you seeing that? I mean, it's all through Psalm 119, again and again and again and again and again. And the reason he tells God this while he's praying is because it's going to strengthen his prayer. It's going to enliven his prayer. It's going to, like, turbocharge his prayer. And, and that's what I want us to focus on this morning. God's given us this turbocharger, if you, if you will. If you don't like that illustration, if you're not a car person, just put that out. But, but the point is, if we will, while we are praying, stir into the pot of what we're praying, stir in, just like sprinkle in, statements to God about the truth of his word, that will bring you comfort and strength and encouragement and peace and the Lord's presence. Your faith will rise. Your conviction will grow. The sense of God's nearness will come. It will strengthen your prayer. If your prayer is just puttering along, going from point A to point B through your list, sprinkle some of this in there. So for us to use this turbocharger, though, that means we need to be confident that God's word is perfectly true. And I would guess, you know, many of you, most of you believe that. I would guess some of you may not. Um, And I'm sure this is true for me. This is true for every believer. We all have times where, I mean, I find it very helpful sometimes to say, okay, now one more time, why do I believe that this book is true? Because think of what we're saying. What we're saying is that this is truth directly from God. And we are letting this book shape our lives, and if you let this book shape and mold your life, you will live in a profoundly different way than the rest of the people that Paul Walton was looking out in Silicon Valley this morning, okay? Right? We're going to be living our lives for the glory of Jesus Christ. We're not going to be living for money or for fame. We're going to be living our lives for the glory of Jesus Christ, not for comforts and those kinds of things, but for Jesus Christ, for his fame. We're going to be making disciples who make disciples. We're going to be living a very different way. If if we believe that this book is God's words, that we're holding in our hands the, the words from our creator, there is a God, he's created everything, and here's his book given to us. That will change everything in our lives. And so I find it helpful from time to time to say, okay, now one more time, Fuller, why do you believe this? Let's just, let's just get this clear again. And so I want to share with you some of the, kind of how I walk myself through that process just to say, okay, that's right, okay? Because I think every believer has times where we need to revisit that. We need to strengthen our faith once again in God's word. So here's why I believe the Bible is perfectly true. Here's the flow of thought I go with. See if this helps you. I start with just this stunning truth that nobody, nobody can dispute, that I'm here, right, with a body that does amazing things on a beautiful planet in a massive universe, okay? Nobody can dispute that. And so how did that happen, right? How did this happen? And there's only one of two possible answers in big categories. It's either by chance or by design, right? This is either all just, well, you got lucky, 
Okay, the, the atoms and the molecules or whatever just happen to oop, create a fuller. All right, there I am. So it's either by chance or it's by design. Okay, now I have never seen things as complex as like the human eye or as beautiful as like California poppies, my favorite flowers. I've never seen things that complex, that beautiful come about by chance. Just never seen it. Those things always come about by design. There's, there's an intellect behind it. There's thought, purposefulness, wisdom behind it. And so I think all the evidence, just we look at each other, we look at this room, we look outside, we look at the view we have, all the evidence points to design behind everything, which means a designer. And if there's a designer who's made this, you and me and this globe and this universe, we're talking God. So I think all the evidence points to God's reality. Okay? Now, my next step is I, I realize that this book claims to be the Word of God. Okay? It doesn't prove it, but it, because I, I know there's a God, I think, hmm, let's check this book out. Okay, that's kind of how I go. And then, I mean, this book is full of, of wonder. And, and one of the ways I know this is God's word is because there have been times where as I've read this book, God has come and he has met me in the truth of this word. But I don't feel it all the time. Okay, so I can't rest there, all right? And, and you may have, maybe you haven't ever met the Lord, you've never experienced that, so we can't, can't rest on that for you. So one thing I do find in this book, though, is it's full of historical documents that are eyewitness confirmed about Jesus, we got all these corroborating eyewitnesses talking about Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago. And so all the evidence points to, I'm not talking about this being God's word yet, but all the evidence points to the fact that we have historically accurate information about Jesus. Okay, Jesus. And we read that Jesus calmed the storm, spoke and the storm stopped. We read that Jesus multiplied food for thousands. We read that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus spoke to blind Bartimaeus and his eye saw Right? We see Jesus casting out demons. We see Jesus forgiving sins. We see him dying on the cross. We see him rising from the dead. So all these eyewitness evidence are corroborating the story that Jesus Christ is no ordinary man. He is fully man, but he's also fully God. So I'm persuaded that we have eyewitness-based evidence that Jesus Christ is God. And then my, my final step is that Jesus, who is fully God, said that the Old Testament was the Word of God and the New Testament would be the Word of God. Okay, to see the Old Testament where he says that, look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. Here's where Jesus, the Son of God, God on earth, God in the flesh, says that the Old Testament is perfectly true. Matthew 5, 18. This is page 810 of the Bibles we passed out. It says, Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Okay, iotas and dots are part of the Hebrew script. Okay, Nicole was working on Arabic script these last weeks. Okay, Hebrew script is similar, but you got little, little tiny points and not even the smallest part of the Hebrew letter will pass away until it is all accomplished. And so Jesus here states plain as day that everything in the Old Testament, not an iota, not a dot will pass away until it's all accomplished. So the whole Old Testament 
is God's words, Jesus says here. And there's many other scriptures that, where he reaffirms that and confirms that. Okay, what about the New Testament? Well, turn to John 14, verse 26. Now, this is page 901 in the Bibles we passed out. Now, the New Testament is not in existence yet, of course, when Jesus is speaking these words, right? But look at what he says here. He's talking to the apostles. And he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay, now Jesus is talking to the apostles here. I don't think this promise applies to you or me. Okay? He's talking to the apostles that the, the Holy Spirit will be given to them and the Holy Spirit will teach them all things and remind them of everything that Jesus said to them. Okay? So the apostles are going to be gifted so that they will be able to receive perfect truth from God. I will, I will teach you all truth, he says, and I'm going to help you remember everything that I said. So they will receive truth from God, and so they have this gift to receive truth, perfect truth from God, speak perfect truth from God, write perfect truth from God. This is the apostles. This is Matthew. Okay, so Matthew was listening to this, and so when Matthew writes his gospel, the Holy Spirit is teaching him all truth, reminding him of everything that Jesus taught, the implications of everything Jesus taught, perfect truth from God, is in Matthew's gospel. And the same with the rest of the New Testament. And so at the time Jesus is speaking, when he's on earth, the Old Testament had been written, that's God's word. The New Testament would be written by the apostles. That will be God's word. So Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God on earth, speaking perfect truth from God because he is God, affirms that the Old Testament and the New Testament are the very words of God. Perfectly true, the very words of God. And that's then, if we go back to uh, Psalm 119, verse 160, that's also what we read here in Psalm 119. The sum of of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever so what the psalmist is echoing here is the same thing that Jesus would teach uh, you know but about a thousand years ahead of him and it's the the statement that we find through from Genesis to Revelation attesting to the fact that the Bible is the very word of God the sum of your word is truth and every one Every one of your righteous rules endures forever. So he speaks this to God as he's praying about his trials, and he's, he's doing that because it will strengthen his prayer. It will deepen his prayer. See, I would guess probably most of you, uh, it, when you pray, you, you, you haven't thought about doing this. I mean, and how often when you pray, you don't need to answer this out loud, but how often when you pray, do you make affirmations to God about the truth of his word? Is that part of your prayer life? Uh, I, I would guess it probably hasn't been that much a part of it. I hope it will be, though, after this morning. So that's why we believe that the Bible is the word of God. And when we pray that, it will turbocharge, strengthen, deepen, and enliven our prayers. So how does that work? How does it happen? How does this turbocharge our prayer? And I just want to mention three ways that I see in Psalm 119 and and, and see if, if, if you can resonate with these. Because I'm hoping that it, it'll be like, this sounds so good. 
No more dull prayer. At least not, I'm not going to go down without a fight. No more settling for dull prayer. No, no, no more settling for just kind of, you know, plodding along. The Lord, stir it up. So, first of all, it will strengthen your faith as you pray. And that's what's happening here in verse 160, I think. Remember, he's facing a huge trial. And so three times he prays, give me life, give me life, give me life. And the reason is because he's, he's not feeling spiritual life. Okay? This is the reality of our Christian lives. I want you to know this. There's many, 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 in fact, this morning I woke up without spiritual life that I could tell anyway. I mean, I know I did by the Holy Spirit, but I wasn't feeling it, okay? And this is true of every Christian. Oh, you, you've got to understand this. Every follower of Jesus will have times when we just aren't feeling it. The life is gone, okay? And that's what he's in, that situation he's in right now. So he prays. Verse 154, give me life according to your promise. Verse 156, give me life according to your rules. Verse 159, give me life according to your steadfast love. And now think about what he's actually going through here. He's feeling no spiritual life, okay? But he knows that God's word has promised that if he would pray, God would give him spiritual life. That's what he says, give me life according to your promise, And he knows that God's rules call him to to seek God for spiritual life when he's lacking because God will meet it, which is why he says, give me life according to your rules. And he knows that God's word has promised that God is full of steadfast love. So when we come to him lifeless, he doesn't throw his brow like Paul was saying, okay? He's running towards us with the life that we need. And so his whole prayer here, he's lifeless, but his whole prayer is, is resting on the truth of God's word. His promise I will give you life. His rules, seek me and I will give you life. And his affirmation that I'm full of steadfast love, so I will give you the life that you need. And so his whole prayer here depends upon the, is God's word true or not? So can you feel how comforting and strengthening it would be for him to say, the sum of your word is true. I'm lifeless. Your word promises life. Your rules call me to seek life because you'll give it. You say you're full of steadfast love, so you'll give life. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Strength. It would have filled him as he prayed that. I'm asking God for life, and Lord, you're going to give me life because your word is true. Your promises are true. Your rules are true. Your steadfast love as described in the word is true. So he ends those eight verses with verse 160 to strengthen his faith. Now, next, comfort. I also found that he does this in order to strengthen his comfort. Again, Psalm 119, as we've read through these verses, he's going through huge trials. He's suffered much. He needs comfort from God. Okay, He needed to see God as faithful. He needed to be assured about God, the truth of God's promises. He needed to know again that God's in control. He needed to experience God's love, God's presence, God's mercy. He needed comfort. And so look at verse 52, Psalm 119. He says, when I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. So he tells God, I'm thinking about your rules, God. And when I think about your rules 
and how they've been from of old. Now, that's just not like they're old, but the point is that they've been faithful from of old. They have been steadfast from of old. Um, they, they, they aren't like changing here and like here today, gone tomorrow, but they have been strong, stable, steadfast from of old. Here's God's rules, and they are rock solid. They're not changing. They have been from of old. And that brings him great comfort. Okay? How? Well, because God, it's because of your rules that I've been faithful to you, and I've been receiving this affliction and persecution that's been coming my way. And yet, those rules, which you've called me to do, that is stable and strong and true. And so it's right that I've been living that way. Persecutors will come, persecutors will go. Affliction will come, affliction will go. Your rules, forever. Your word is forever. And so to to rest his life again on the rock-solid word of God, whose rules have been from of old, would have brought him great comfort. That, That strengthened me this morning. Like I said, I woke up feeling lifeless, um... And I was out in the kitchen, just kind of walking, pacing around the kitchen, praying. Jan was back, getting ready. And, uh, and your rules have been from of old. He said, seek me and you will find me. That rule's been from of old, Father. And then 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, Lord, you're going to give me everything that I need. And so you, you call me to seek you. You call me to seek your face and you will meet me. That's been from of old. That is not going anywhere. That is permanently, everlastingly true. And comfort came. So I would encourage you, when you need comfort, speak to God about the truth of his word. Your word is true. Your word is flawless. Your promises are faithful. Your word's not going anywhere. Perfectly true. And he will meet you and he'll strengthen your faith. One last example. It'll deepen your commitment. Okay, this is in verses 140 to 143 in Psalm 119. Again, he, he just brings these statements out of nowhere about the truth of God's word. And, and the reason he does that here is because He's praying about the persecution he faces because of his own faithfulness to God. He's been faithful to God, and he's facing persecution because of it. And so he's, it sounds like he's feeling like, man, I've been faithful to God, persecution's coming. What if I was a little bit less faithful? What if I loved God's word a little bit less? What if I was a little bit less devoted to God's word? And so look at what he says in verse 140-143. He says, your promise is well tried. You know what that means? That means every time I've trusted in your promise, it's been found true and faithful. Your promise is well tried, faithful, permanent. Every time I've trusted your promise, you have always been faithful to your promise. Your promise is well tried, and so your servant loves it. Yes, I'm being persecuted. Yes, I've got cost because of your word, but your promise is well tried. So in spite of the cost, I love it. I am small and despised, he says, and yet I do not forget your precepts because your promise is well tried. Your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true. So even though trouble and anguish have found me out, your commandments are my delights. 
you know, think of how this would have helped you if you were in his situation. Persecution's coming. Uh, cost you've incurred because of your faithfulness to God's word. Okay, there you are, suffering. And it's like, wow, is it really worth it to trust God? Is it really worth it to, to live your life on the basis of God's word? Is it really worth it to en- endure the cost? And so to say, wait a minute, your promise is well tried. Your promise is faithful. Your word is true. Your commands are true. This is the foundation that will be here a hundred years from now, 200 years from now. This will still be true, and all that persecution and affliction will be gone. Your promise is well tried, and strength would come. Oh, therefore, I love your law. I love your truth. I want to live my life based on this book. The strength of commitment to God's word would have risen as he says, God, I Your word is well tried. Your law is true. Thank you. I'm seeing it. I'm trusting you. I'm feeling it. Thank you. And strength would have come, which would enable him to say, if it's costly, I'm going to keep following your word. If it's suffering, I'm going to keep following your word. I'm going to be faithful to follow your word. And I just had a little taste of this. So talk about my sister. We might need to take this off of the recording just in case, but... um, so I, I sent her an email back after uh, 9-11. She's down in Pasadena. She's a clinical psychologist down there. I just said, I said, just seeing this and seeing how brief life is, just I love you, I care about you, and um, I know we're not that close, but I just, I really, I mean, I, I'd love you to, to, I'd love to talk to you about Jesus. And because she seemed like she used to be really close to him. And so I sent her back this email, and I think God gave me grace. I had Jan read it to make sure that she, she thought it was good. Um, and I didn't hear about it for not another two or three months, and she just said, you know, she, she was brief but cordial. Um, and so since then, it's it's been difficult. I, I, I do believe I did the right thing in sending her that email. Um, I, I apologized for some things. So I tried to be as, as gracious as I could. But I'd never gotten anything quite as... Maybe harsh is the strong word. And I mean, again, it's not that bad. You guys have, many of you experienced something much, much worse than this. But this is the first time for my sister where she's just said, she says, we don't really have that much in common anymore. We're not on the same page. I don't think I want to, I want to see you when you're down here. Little, 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 little grief, okay. But God's promise is well tried, right? God's law is true. And I'm just seeking to show her love. And so just that little bit. But see, many of you have experienced much, much more than that. God's promise is well tried. God's promise is true. God's word will not pass away. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will abide forever. So tell God that as you pray. Father, I'm weak now. I'm wavering. But I know the grass withers, the flower falls, but your word will abide forever. I know that's true. I'm not feeling it quite like I should. Now help me. And he will, and he will, he will strengthen you. He will comfort you. And he will deepen your commitments to him as you sprinkle your prayer with those affirmations about the truth of who God is. Okay, so now what questions does this raise? Am I, am I tracking with this passage? And lots of, lots of other things we could have talked about in these verses, but most all of them we've already talked about in this series. But, but this one we haven't really camped on. The fact that he sprinkles statements about the truth of God's word throughout this psalm where he's praying about all of his afflictions and difficulties. So 
What questions did this get raised up? Can you notice how he mentions steadfast love? Again, in, in, down in uh, verse 159. Consider how I love your precepts. That's something similar, right? Notice how I love your word, right? I'm loving your law. Give me life according to your steadfast love. So the reason I point that out is because steadfast love is the Old Testament word for mercy. It's the Hebrew word for chesed, which is translated loving kindness sometimes. Okay? But it's the word for mercy. So what that shows is that when he says to God, um, consider how I love your precepts, and on that basis give me life, but then he says, according to your steadfast love, so it's clear from that that he knows that his loving of God's precepts does not earn God's giving of life, which is why he has to say, do it according to your steadfast love, according to your mercy. So just a huge difference here. It's not because his, his, his love for God's word or his obedience or his keeping God's law has earned anything from God. Okay, but so still, what's he saying? He does say it. And um, what he's saying is, it, it, here's how New Testament believers should describe it. Let's bring Christ into the equation because he's the crucial savior the the only the only way that I can be accepted by God is because Jesus has paid for my sins on the cross and I'm clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness. It's His worth that gains me access into God's presence. And we and I we only get clothed with Jesus' righteousness one way: faith alone. And so all these kinds of statements, I love your law, I'm seeking to obey your law, all those are saying, this is evidence that my faith is genuine. Okay, it's, it's faith is what's being pointed to with all of those statements. Old Testament, New Testament, same. We're saved by faith alone. Old Testament, in God's mercy alone. New Testament, more clear now, in God's mercy and, oh, it's through Christ. We see how it's happened alone. And so we can say to God, um, Lord, I've, I've, I've sought to be faithful to you. I've sought to obey you. And the point isn't, you owe me now. The point is, Lord, by, that's, even that's by your grace, but it shows that the faith in my heart is genuine, which shows that I'm connected to Jesus, his blood and righteousness. And so on the basis of Jesus, Father, you can answer me. Does that make sense? world of difference between thinking that I've earned your answer by my obedience versus my obedience is showing that I'm trusting the one who did earn your answer, Jesus. So let's all make sure we're, we're understanding the huge difference. If we come to God thinking our obedience has earned anything from him, we will receive nothing from him because it's a travesty, it's, it's sacrilege, it profanes the cross to talk that way. Grace, grace, grace. grace. Okay, good question. Other questions? Yes, because your promise is true. Yes, absolutely. It's true. Good. Yes. And so to, to pray promises and then to say, to Father, your promise is true. Well, he doesn't need to be persuaded of that, but that will persuade us and strengthen us. Do this. It'll turbocharge your prayer. Okay? Are you all persuaded about the truth of God's word? I mean, because we need to dialogue with people about why do you believe the Bible's true, right? And so, again, we need to be able to have, it, have an answer for the hope that's within us. This is where the hope that's within us is found. This is where it's written out. And so it's important that we all think that through and are able to articulate that to people around us. Because I think we have, I mean, I think all the evidence points to the fact that this is God's word. 
All the evidence points to it. Now, my faith wavers and gets weak at times, okay? But when I come back and say, why was that again? It's like, oh yeah, totally, totally. But, you know, it's good to revisit those things. So revisit them. And if you find yourself from time to time doubting the truth of God's word, again, every believer struggles with that sometimes. All right? We all need, we, we all need to take time to strengthen our faith in that and in every area. So that's just the Christian life. Okay, other questions? No? Okay, here's what I want us to do. First of all, let me just... So this week as you're praying, stir into your prayer statements to God about the truth of his word. And watch how that strengthens your faith. Watch how that comforts you. And then watch how that deepens your commitment. Yes, I'm going to keep on. I'm going to keep following you. So here's what I want us to do in close. I'd like us to pray for, for those of you who right now this morning need more strength. Some of you need comfort. And some of you need fresh commitment to the Lord. And some of you may even need to be strengthened in, in your commitment or understanding of, of the truth of God's word. So just stand where you are. We just want to pray that God will come. So go ahead and stand up. We want to pray over you. And let's have folks gather around and lay hands on those that have... If you're standing, you want prayer, raise your hand. And let's make sure that everybody who wants prayer has people gathered around them to give prayer. Then I'll, I'll lead us. So you, won't, you can just pray along with me as I lead. So everybody, every hand raised got a prayer? Okay, who are those who needed prayer? Hands raised? Raise your hands high if you need prayer. Keep them up. Keep them up, okay? We need somebody else here around Rick and Heidi. Okay? Sean Danielle, do you guys need prayer up here? Okay, they need, they need prayer. Okay, prayers, move around. Move. I authorize you to leave your seat and to, <laughs> to move around. Okay. All right, let's pray. Lord, we know that, um, in fact, you, you sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses because you've been tempted in all things as we are yet without any sin. And so you, you know, Lord, that difficulties, the temptations, the struggles that we go through. We love you for that, Jesus. Fully God, that you would come and and experience life as we experience it. And so when we come to you in our weaknesses, you sympathize with us. You say, I know. I was there. Come, I'll help you. And so, Lord, I praise you that that as we pray for these who who have needs, that, that you're sympathizing. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bring strength, first of all, to them. And, and Lord, especially strength with the fact that the word of God is true. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. So right now we pray, by your Holy Spirit, strengthen them with the fact that your word is true. Your promises are true. You will fulfill every promise. Your commands are true. They will never regret having obeyed you, no matter what cost they have had or will have. So strengthen them now. And Lord, comfort them now, we pray. Comfort them with the fact that your word is faithful. This is the very word of God, that a hundred years from now they will look back so thankful that they were faithful to the word. Comfort them with that now, Lord. Bring them just a, a sense of assurance and of stronger faith. Bring, bring a greater sense of your love to them right now to comfort them because your word is true. The things you've promised are true. Lord, comfort them with that, I pray. And then, Lord, strengthen their commitment to you as they consider the fact that your word 
the sum of your word is truth. The totality of your word is completely without any error whatsoever. And so it's right to trust your word. It's right to live based on your word. So help them with that, Father. And then, Lord, we pray for those who have some doubts about your word. Just maybe need to be, They need to be strengthened in trusting the truth of your word. And, Lord, we hear all kinds of things from the world around us. There's a swirl of opinions that's out there. But, Lord, I pray that you would help those who need to be strengthened in the truth of your word to rethink the evidence that is there that you've given to us. You don't just call us to believe things on some kind of a blind faith, but you give us evidence. And so, Lord, strengthen them. Help them as maybe the home group could gather around them this week and talk and go over the evidence again and pray. And I just pray that you'd strengthen each one, Lord, who needs to be strengthened in their trust in your word. And then, Lord, for all of us here, here we are, Mercy Hill. Lord, this week, teach us more how to intersperse our requests with statements to you about the truth of your word and that you would use that to strengthen us and to comfort us and to deepen our commitment to you so that we will shine with your glory to lost people around us so that, just like Anne shared earlier, we'll be able to continue to reach out to lost people even if there's not a lot of immediate response so that we'll be faithful to obey your word and bring you glory, Jesus Christ. So do this in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.